uh, any input, something we missed here, or or maybe you vehemently disagree with Tom, <laughs> and you <laughs> surely, surely not me. Yeah, <laughs> again, throwing me under the bus. You're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here along with my good friend, Tom Balsamo. And how are you this morning, Tom? Doing okay this morning. A little, little tired, but uh, none the worse for wear. No complaints. Yeah. So. <laughs> good. Yeah. Some days you drag more than others. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Well, it means you're doing something that you've got. You're, you're busy. <laughs> you've got stuff to do. Job security. <laughs> uh, yeah. This it doesn't just mean you're getting old, although you might be getting old. Well, that's the part we're not going to talk about. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah, on to the next thing. <laughs> How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. It's nice to get a um, an early start to the day, you know? Yes. To be to be coming in when it's still dark outside and feeling like, yeah, we're, we're yeah. starting this off strong. I, <laughs> I do enjoy that, the, the quiet yeah. hours of the morning when still dark yes. outside. There's not many cars driving by. It's just everybody else yep. is still asleep. And, yeah. Uh, it's and nice. For us, and of course, it was it was pretty dark. It was, it was maybe starting to light up a little bit. But here in about, uh, what, four, four days, uh, we're going to time, time change will take place in which we'll fall back an hour, which means it'll be darker longer in the morning, mm-hmm. but lighter longer in the evening. But uh, I don't know, something about the shortening days can be nice the one the biggest thing i like about winter is kind of that hibernation where i don't have to worry about the lawn like nothing outside (laughs) needs to be tended i get unless you need to shovel snow or something but um (laughs) you deal with that more than i do i suppose i don't like to think about snow actually i don't know that i get any more snow here than you do really Um, okay yeah we're, we're we're maybe 15 minutes from the coast and strangely enough that tends to bring warmer air up from the south. So, okay. um, so when we get snows here in Connecticut, they tend to be a little further north of us. Ah. Yeah. Huh. Weird thing. Yeah. Sometimes it misses us too, almost like, you know, top and bottom, you know, up along the 80 corridor up around Iowa City. That's where it kind of mm-hmm. gets hit a lot. Yeah. Hard. But. I just could never understand why people like snow. I, I realize it's subjective. <laughs> It's subjective, uh, you know, and people look at it and they think, oh, how pretty. And all I look at, all I see when I look at it is is more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although if people saw your driveway, they would understand a little bit, I guess, that <laughs> you have to deal with snow when you well, have your driveway. <laughs> thankfully, someone gave me a, a snow blower a few years ago, but my driveway has this really steep slope right at the beginning of it. <laughs> And and it's a blacktop driveway, <laughs> and it's 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 kind of like watching a clown show when I'm out there with my snowblower, <laughs> because no matter how you try to do it, you end up sliding down sideways with the snowblower down and towards the road, this, like diagonal. Line. So you're working as hard as you can to not only push the snowblower, but to not <laughs> fall down. Um, and I've tried everything with the, you know, the spikes on your shoes and everything. I've tried all that. And it's like the snowblower itself just slides. The wheels yeah. just go sideways. It's, yeah. Oh, goodness. Mm. That's fun. Um, 
Hey, before we jump into um, any more conversation, um, we want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Yes. And uh, thanks to all those who support us on whatever level it is. Uh, and if that's something you're interested in, uh, you just go to patreon.com slash reason together and it, there's different tiers, right? There's a student yep. tier for those mm-hmm. who are flat, broke, poor, busted, don't, ain't got nothing. And I <laughs> know <laughs> it's getting to borrow a phrase from somebody else. Um, um, and then there's what standard dollar tier, okay, yeah, standard, standard and premium and elite, I think is what they are. Yeah. Okay. And we mm-hmm. want to thank all of our patrons for their continuous, uh, support of this podcast and our endeavor to do this and trust that this conversation will, will be helpful to you. Not that we converse about things and come up with all the answers, but we hope that in the process, we encourage you to think through things and, uh, and to, think of things from different angles and give us some feedback along the way uh, and kind of join our conversation. Uh, give us either a, a disagreement or a question or a, or a, another thought, another angle that you're seeing and that we're not seeing it. We'd appreciate that. So mm-hmm. welcome to the conversation. Yeah. Good to have you here. Again, that's patreon.com slash reason together, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash reason together. If you have any feedback, you can send that to reason together podcast at gmail. Com. And I just told somebody the other day um, about our, our website, and if somebody just wants to kind of go to the hub, actually listen to the uh, episodes off of the, off of the Internet, if that's the easier thing for you, you're not big into you know, podcast players and things, you just you want to go to the website, it's reasontogether.fm, like an FM radio station, reasontogether.fm, mm-hmm. and uh, find there uh, either the, the episodes or... Uh, access to purchase a shirt or uh, other ways to link to us, but that's uh, that's kind of the hub there too. Mm-hmm. Did uh, did you? I don't know if you noticed this or not. I made a mistake the other day when Uh-oh. when I published I the podcast. I, uh, no, I did not notice. <laughs> Good because I fixed it rather quickly, so I don't know if anybody <laughs> noticed it. But I, I, you know, when I opened up my my Overcast app, I use Overcast to play podcasts, yes. and, and usually I'll check to see if our podcast came through. Um, I typically don't have to listen to it through there because I've kind of already heard it a whole whole thing a bunch of times. <laughs> um, but uh, I looked and I and I saw the the episode pop up in the downloads there, and and the time didn't seem familiar to me. Like you look at the little time uh, um, timestamp thing, yeah, how long the episode is, and 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 I knew it was supposed to be around forty nine minutes, and I looked and it was shorter than that. And I said something's odd, so I clicked on it. And all of a sudden I hear my voice saying, please turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 20 or whatever, 30, 31. And I realized what I had done. I used the same computer for editing the podcast that I do for uploading um, my sermons from church onto our website, our church website. And I must have somehow clicked the sermon Switched file. <laughs> so instead of it being our episode, it was one of my sermons. So, um, oops. But I did, I did, right. did fix it rather quickly. So, all right, good man. If uh, if if you do have that in your downloads and it's still there, and you're like, oh, I can't get rid of this sermon. <laughs> I need to hear the podcast. You can just delete uh, that download and re-download it again, and it should okay. be the correct file. Yeah. Sorry Any, for that. That's right. <laughs> Any administrative details that we need to take, a, take care of before we jump in? No, nope, we are ready to go. 
All right. Can I, uh, can I start with this question here? Sure. Um, thinking about, yeah, I think it's a, at least I know as a younger preacher, uh, I was tempted to, and I think it's probably uh, a young fundamentalist thing, I suppose, to want to equate, uh, to want to bash self-esteem in a similar way that um, because the charismatics talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, we mm-hmm. uh, maybe we'll go, we'll, the pendulum swing to uh, the opposite side, maybe not talk about them or bash the charismatics to to a fault, you know, and, and almost do abuse to the doctrinal Holy Spirit maybe or something. Anyway, I'm trying to use that as parallel. But um, in this case, you know, to say, okay, well, you know, modern psychology talks about self-esteem. You need you need more self-esteem, uh, brother. You've got too much self-esteem. That's your problem, and you're proud. Um, my question is, I guess, to at, at the outset, is self-esteem the same thing as pride? Can you equate those two things? Hmm. I think if they are going to be different things, it's going to be. There's going to be a point where. It, it it's difficult to know where the line is. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, to esteem something is to hold it in high regard, right? I would say it's to value it. To value it, to esteem it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I, I don't know that th- that's too awfully different. Um, yeah, I, if we're going to go with the definition of valuing it, yeah, I can't see that there's anything wrong with understanding you have some value to somebody or something. So no, I wouldn't say that that's inherently wrong. Right. Well, and I agree because, um, you know, now the way that maybe modern psychology talks about it or, or you know, at, well, you need more self-esteem, you need more self-esteem. Well, that isn't nece- really the answer to the problem um, of, you know, what they're trying to address uh, because it is... Uh, it can be a self-focus. It can just all feed into, uh, you know, you, you, and mm-hmm. you're valuable, and this and this. But it's, it's kind of, you know, I feel like it could be overblown on the on the self-focus. Yeah. But you know, when I think about esteem, when you esteem something, you're you're setting a value on it. And so the question is, when I think of self-esteem, do I have any value? Well. Yes, as a created creature, and and as a uh, especially. I'd say even another step as you're a believer and you believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit has gifted you in some way, but any believer who's made in the image of God, you know, has a value, um, but particularly your value is in Christ and in um, the way that God created you. Mm -hmm. So you need to figure out where to find your value um, and realize, you know, that you have value, but it has to be in the right place. And so, Self-esteem in and of itself is the, you know, is the proper estimation of self. Mm-hmm. Well, to take that same definition, the proper estimation of self, I could almost put the word humility over it. Um, humility is a proper understanding of how you relate to God. And I've told this a number of times to folks in our church. Humility isn't saying, you know, I'm dirt and there's nothing, you know, nothing good about me. I can't do anything. Oh, you know, that was a nice special you did. No, 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 I have no ability. You know, I, I, so anybody could have done it better than I could have. That's not, that's not humility. Yeah. Self-deprecation. Right. Humility is saying, um, you know, that he's the master, I'm the servant and I understand my role 
and I don't, uh, uh, well, in fact, <clears throat> I thought Romans 12, 3, if you look at this verse, deals with that issue. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Yeah. So I think there, there's a way that you ought to think about yourself that is God honoring. Sure. You know, to say, I, I, you know, I'm worth nothing, I can't do anything well, is really to slap God in the face who has gifted you and who has a place for you in the body. Um, so, so to me, self-esteem or to esteem myself, it just has to be appropriate. Now, out of self-esteem, the way I esteem myself or the way in the place in which I find my value, where I find my value can lead Mm -hmm. to pride, which would be an improper valuation of myself, thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think. And we might even say that pride would be involved in thinking lower of myself than I ought to because I'm still self-focused and self-absorbed. So even even a low self-esteem, I think the way if you esteem yourself too low, you may still be self-absorbed and in a, in some sense that is pride because it's a wrong relation of yourself to God. Yeah. But I don't think that pride equals self-esteem. You know, self-esteem is how you esteem yourself and where you find your value and properly evaluating yourself in God's design. Yeah. But doing that then doesn't have to lead to pride, but it can. Right. Um yeah, you'd said an interesting thing about humility being understanding one's relation to God, and I don't disagree, mm-hmm. but I think you know one's relation to other people should should come into play as well in our definition of this as we're building it, because um, mm-hmm. it almost seems like the the modern understanding of what self esteem is. It's often used as in a way an excuse to pamper oneself. Uh, and uh, make make oneself uh-huh. secure or safe or comfortable from any sort of criticism or um, mm. discomfort in life. And you, as you were talking there, just using the word esteem reminds me of uh, it's Philippians chapter two. Um, and correct mm. me if if, yes. if I'm not understanding the usage of the word there, but it says in verse three, "Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves." So in addition to seeing my relation to God uh, in humility, uh, there should also be some, uh, some understanding that other, other, other people should be viewed as more important than my needs at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, self-esteem today is often claimed as an excuse to have a me day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, it it doesn't seem consistent with this concept from second or from uh, Philippians chapter two and verse three. Right, and I understand what you're saying because yeah, it's it's cause it's it's a like you said pampering. It's focusing on yourself to say, well, I need to feel better about myself. Well, in some ways, maybe you do sometimes, but you need to you need to feel better from a biblical understanding. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I could see where some people have done some things in life. They feel like, you know, I've messed up my life. I've made bad decisions and they get discouraged and feel like, you know, I am a piece of trash. Well, no, you're not, you know, you've made mistakes, but you're not, you're not garbage though. Satan wants you to feel that way. Other people may make you feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and you got to realize, no, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God and I'm usable, I'm useful and I'm usable in Christ. Um, but to, yeah, to focus on self, like you're saying, Philippians two, three, to say my needs, my needs, my feelings. Well, then at a certain point you have to say, well, <laughs> you know, the, the right self, the right self esteem is going to cause me to look outward yeah. and say, I am the servant. And who am I supposed to serve? Yeah. <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? So we would, so. we would have to, to probably conclude then in, by saying that to value oneself is not inherently wrong so long as it doesn't cross the threshold to when I then value myself more than, than others. R- yeah, right. Or more than any, uh, more than <clears throat> how God would have me to. But yeah, I see what you're saying as far as more than others. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting point to just say in relation to other people, like I'm more valuable than you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, so that's, yeah, that's, an, that's another point at the end to, to bring in. It's almost like a, like a needle on one of those meters, you know? <laughs> it's like yes. at yeah, some right. point it Get crosses it a red line, right? And it's like now you're not just understanding your value. Uh, now you're esteeming yourself better than others. Now you've crossed the line. So it's like yes, right? Hard, hard to know where that line is, uh, oftentimes. <laughs> but uh, I think that's really why we run. We often run scared from the concept of self-esteem in and of itself, because we're like, oh, that's the slippery slope to pride. Well, I mean, in theory, it is. Um, <laughs> But as we've said before on this podcast, a slippery slope is not a valid argument um, because just because someone uh, is on the slope does not mean they will always slide all the way down. Um, so so valuing yourself is, is not necessarily a, a bad thing. Um, no, right. I, no, I, in a sense, everybody does it. Everybody sure. values themselves. You just have to – so everybody has – some sort of esteem of themselves. It's just whether it's accurate, and so you need a, a biblical yeah. uh, self estimation. If I can, maybe that—that's a better term for it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right, what did, what uh, what's on your mind? Um, this uh, this is something that I was thinking about yesterday, and I I I don't know, I don't know yet what the value is in the question. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, we, we've talked before about, you know, dumb questions. You just need that. more self-esteem, I Tom. Need, yeah, I need more self-esteem. <laughs> I need to have a me day. That's what I no, need. No, no <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's no question is a bad question. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, it's like one of those things, you know, you look at certain Bible questions and you go, uh, okay, I don't see the point in why I need to know that. But in, part of me is always curious when I come across something in the scriptures that I don't quite understand. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, I don't want to write it off before I know it's value. So it's like, I almost have to study it out first, even if it doesn't <laughs> seem valuable so that I can then understand its value later. Um, so as yeah, I, I was reading through uh, Mark chapter eight and uh, came to verse 22 and it says there that Jesus uh, and he cometh to Bethsaida and they bring him a blind man, uh, they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught or anything, if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. 
and he was restored, and saw every man clearly, and sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any man. And I've read this passage a number of times before, and it never dawned on me to ask this question until yesterday as I was reading it. And that, namely this, uh, if Jesus is certainly capable of healing a man perfectly in one go, okay, why did it take two times here before the man could see clearly? That's a good question. I mean, that's obviously nothing... Um Nothing. Uh, no limitations. Not casting. Yeah, not a casting aspersions on his ability at Correct. all. So there had to be some some other reason. Now, whether we can discern that reason, uh, or whether it's just up to every reader's and preacher's imagination, you know, yeah. to discern. I'm I'm not yet sure whether there's a uh, at all a cultural significance in anything that he did, such as the spitting or yeah. you know things like that. Um, or, or, or if he was, uh, in essence, uh, drawing the man's heart along, uh, this would just be a, a, an initial thought of mine. You know, is he? Is he? Of course, who, who knows all hearts? He can literally see the man's inner workings, mm-hmm. if you will, his heart. You know, his actual thinking process. So he spits on his eyes and he says, "Do you see anything?" And the man, you know, responds with an answer. But internally, what's happening is he's saying, "Oh." I knew you could do this. I knew you could heal me. You know, is there any gratitude there? Or is it, oh, no, you can't do this. I can't see anything clearly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just wonder if there was there was kind of almost a uh, a slower working there to discern the heart of the individual in, in ways that he did in other people. I don't Possibly. Know. Um, um, I did some, some digging on this a little bit. And, and you're, of course, aware that this is not the only time that Jesus healed someone in a strange fashion. Um, one instance in Mark chapter seven, um, he took a man aside, um, who was, he was unable to hear. He was a deaf man and had a speech impediment. Okay. And he takes him aside and he puts his fingers into the man's ears and then he spit. It doesn't say whether he spit on the man's ears or spit on the ground or just spit into the air. It doesn't say. Yeah, it just says right. he, put his, he puts his fingers into his ears and he spit and he touched his tongue. Okay. So he, he touches the man's ears. He touches the man's tongue. Uh, and then he looks up to heaven and, and so on. The story goes, the man, the man is able to, to hear and he's able to speak. And uh, like in Mark chapter eight, in Mark chapter seven, he also tells this man, don't tell anyone about this. Okay, mm-hmm. which is another interesting question that maybe we'll get to. Yes. Um, but another strange instance when Jesus healed someone was in John chapter 9 uh, and verse 6. Um, in, that, in that instance, he, he spits on the ground um, before a blind man there, and he makes mud or clay mud. out of the spit, yes. spittle. And uh, he basically then picks it up and uh, smears it on the man's eyes. Uh, and the man goes and washes in the pool of Siloam, and thus he is healed and he's able to see. So there's these instances here where Jesus heals in odd ways, okay? And I think Mark chapter 7 is somewhat explainable easily when he touches the man's ears and touches the man's tongue, 
the man could not hear and he could not speak. So I think Jesus is in a way communicating with his hands, telling the man, I'm about to do something about this. I'm going to fix these. Um, and I think in a way he is, is somewhat signing <laughs> to the man that he's about to heal him. Um, that's, that's at least my simple take on that. Why he spit though is still kind of, uh, un, unknown to me. Um, and in all three of those instances, spit was involved. Um, and the only explanation that, that I can think of that even comes close is, is a term, I don't know that anybody else calls it this, but I've, I've called it prophetic exhibitionism. Okay. Um, (laughs) prophetic (laughs) exhibitionism. Um, and, and and not to say that there was anything vain in it. Okay. I'm not saying Jesus did something vain or empty or, or for no reason, but I'm thinking in, in a sense, this is a lot like the prophets of old who sometimes did strange things for the sake of drawing the attention of the crowd. And in some instances doing something as an object lesson to the crowd. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Now you're saying partly though that these they weren't allowed to tell the crowd, so that it wasn't for the crowd for the disciples, the disciples who were there. Okay, okay. Um, okay. I mean, obviously that's going to gather more attention from the disciples and whoever else is there than not saying or doing anything. Um, I mean, because certainly Jesus could have healed the man just by thinking the thought, but he, in a sense, exhibits the right. whole thing as mm-hmm. uh, as a show to those who are around him, um, but. You know, I think of the strange things Old Testament prophets did, and uh, in in taking down some notes on this, um, I came across Ezekiel, of course, who I would say maybe takes the cake for the number of strange (laughs) things that he did, though perhaps it's arguable that he didn't do the strangest things, but but he did more of them. For instance, he laid on his left side for 390 days, like whenever he would go to sleep, that's the only side he would sleep on. Um, Who saw that? I don't know. But at least he he could use that as something to tell. Okay, um, mm-hmm. the uh, when the temple had been destroyed and Israel had been uh, exiled, God tells Ezekiel to communicate this punishment by acting out the wrongdoings of the people, and that's why he tells him to lay on his left side, which symbolized the three hundred and ninety years that Israel had basically neglected the Lord. Mm. Um, there was. Uh, another instance in with the different prophet, or actually, actually, hold on, let's stick stick with Isaiah, Ezekiel for a second. He ate a scroll. Um, <laughs> he shaved off his beard, dividing his hair into thirds, set one third on fire, scattered another third around the city, and stabbed it. <laughs> okay, with a sword, uh, and he threw the remaining third into the wind, and then saved a few of the hairs which he sewed into his clothing. That's in Ezekiel chapter five. Um, wow. Isaiah walks around naked for three years, um, though arguably he could have not been fully naked. (laughs) Okay. Um, That's in Isaiah chapter 20, verses one through four. Uh, Elisha in in 2 Kings 4, 29, he lays his staff on the face of a boy to raise the boy from the dead. Why his face? Why do you have to lay a staff on his face? Who knows? Um, Hosea chapter one. Um, the Lord actually tells the prophet there to name his kids Loruhama and Lo Loami, 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 which respectively mean unloved and not my people. Which boy does that ever make a statement? 
Um, yeah, when your kids are naked. Yeah. So, I mean, there were strange things that prophets did in a sense for, I don't know how else to say it, a wow factor to, to grab the attention, to, to rest the thinking from its complacency. And in some of those cases, God told the prophet to do it. In other cases, the prophet just did it. But then we have Jesus here in the New Testament, who, of course, was, in addition to being our high priest, and in addition to being the king of kings, he was also a prophet. And mm-hmm. he heals these men in these three cases, the, the, the blind and, and the blind men, and then the, the deaf and dumb man. He heals them using spit for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't seem to find any kind of significance to that. I mean, there's obviously no medicinal value in it. Um, one writer tried to suggest that the Jews believed it had medicinal value, and I can't find any single source that corroborates that. He, he cites no source. What had medicinal value? Spit. Spit? Yeah. Oh. Well, it's obviously connected to essential oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why don't people use that nowadays? <laughs> it's in the Bible, after all. Jesus used spit. Um, but uh, but no, the, I can't find any other source that suggests that, that the Jews saw spit as medicinal for the eyes. Um, so I, the only thing I can think he was doing here is drawing the attention in some way uh, as a prophet. <laughs> but I don't know... I don't know. I can prove that. Yeah. Um, one other thought that I have, um, and I'm kind of trying to fish for this verse here, but um, in this just is kind of, I'm pulling this out of something that I read a long time ago, just a thought to kind of, you know, send the dog down that trail a little bit to see if it hunts. But um, <laughs> at some point, uh, Paul had made a reference to his having um, some sort of disease or something. And I was thinking it was in Galatians, but maybe, maybe not. Um, maybe there's some part where Paul referenced, you know, his, maybe it was a problem that he had that people despised. Um, and and it's it's often taken to say oh he had bad eyesight, mm. um, and I did uh, and I had done some research on this a few years back and there's an argument for the fact that it's not um, not his eyes that was the issue but something else that would have been more disgusting to people because if I'm remembering this correctly there was a word used that had to do with spit like to make people spit out meaning they thought it was disgusting or something like that so if spit had the had the uh sense of indicating uh something as an abomination or something as disgusting i wonder if that's also kind of emblematic in what Jesus is doing that he's you know he's representing this is disgusting this you know, the the effect of this sin um is disgusting in my sight or um in the case of spitting taking the mud applying it to you that something disgusting if you if if I could for lack of a better term had to be done for you to receive your sight 
well, in essence, wasn't, you know, to me, that's almost a picture of Calvary. Wasn't that a disgusting event Hmm. that somebody literally had to be tortured and ripped apart and hung on a cross, but through it, Uh. when that's applied to us, you know, something beautiful happens and we're healed. So I wonder if there's any symbolism in that way that spit to them, spitting out would have been a a symbol of gross. I see that something disgusting must take place to deal with the disgusting sins of man. Yeah. At least in the mud aspect or simply to say, as I put my fingers in your ear, my finger on your tongue and I spit to the ground or something, I say, you know, this sin, you know, or, or the effects of sin in this earth are a disgusting thing. You know, I don't know. It's a thought. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, it, it would make you wonder why he didn't do that more often um, if that was the picture that he was trying to, to mm. paint. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. Anyway, like I said, I, I'll find, I don't... Uh, and I'll find that passage. We can put it in the show notes, too, as far as where, where he's talking about uh, that. The only one I'm thinking what of I'm... is like in Galatians 6, where he says he has to write with such a large hand there... That indicates yes, maybe uh-huh. he had a problem with his eyesight, Galatians 6.11. Um, okay. But uh, I can't think of any others. Um, yeah, I'll look oh, into it. Oh, here, here's one, it. Galatians 4.15. Um, yeah, that might be it. Yeah. He, uh, he bears record that they would have plucked out their own eyes and have given them uh, to him. Um because that's the relationship he'd had with the Galatians. They had a sweet relationship and they were, they were willing, they would have been willing to even pluck out their own eyes and give them to him, which would make people wonder why would they have even thought of that? And some presume that maybe it's because Paul had eye problems. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know. But yeah, anyway, I, like I said, I, uh, the whole question of why Jesus spit, um, I don't know that there's value in it. Um but it's like you, you don't well, know until you start thinking about it. Yeah, and I mean, I think there is a value in the sense, or in the value of reading it and asking the question to say that uh, obviously, if there's not, you know, if we study it out and there's not some obvious meaning, then there are some nuanced things that we're not entirely going yeah. to understand, and we might have a disagreement on. So, and and to me, it's just partly a lesson in preaching. You know, when you get up to preach. If this isn't rock solid, say, my thought would be, mm-hmm. or here's my suggestion, or maybe he was symbolizing, but not saying, this is what it yeah. meant. This is what it meant. Don't, don't put a, an absolute meaning to something if it's not you know, obvious. Um, yeah. And that there might be times when somebody else says, well, I think maybe it was this. And you can disagree agreeably um, and no harm done. So, you, so you're saying <laughs> you know, it could be one of those things in the Bible that maybe we're not meant to know? For sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's worthy of study yeah. and, and, and kind of putting it into the whole picture and saying, well, I, you know, I think it consistently fits in this kind of, you know, thought process. But, you know, if we don't understand every detail, I'm just saying, if you, if you don't understand a detail, you don't have to separate over it. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, and I know that might sound petty, but I wonder how many issues there are like that where they really, uh, yeah, aren't so critical yeah. in, in essence. Yeah. Can can you imagine somebody parting ways with a brother because they have a different view of why Jesus spit? <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
like like G- Jesus spit Baptist church or something like oh. that. Uh, you know, we spittle. We separate. We, we we used to go to that church, but now I go to this spittle church. Baptist church. Right, that'd be that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, boy. Anyway, that's a weird weird subject, weird question. I know, but uh, that's what that's what we do here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's fun. It goes to show you that though there that when you read a passage of scripture. Uh, there is a lot to see and, and, and fun questions to ask. Uh, I w- mentioned, I was talking to somebody recently and then mentioned in, was it Sunday school or one of the messages, you, when you read the Bible, read it imaginatively, not meaning try to imagine what you want it to say, right. <laughs> but rather uh, put yourself in the story. Yeah. And so, and, and I, and I asked in Sunday school, I, I gave him a couple few examples of ones that I thought were neat. I said, what about you? You have a story that you feel like really comes alive when you imagine yourself in it, you know, and you think whether it's David and Goliath, well, what's it like, you know, I mean, what, what do you feel like when you're going down to the stream and you're picking up five stones and you're, you're yelling at the giant, literally running at him as you're swinging your sling. Um, the story that, um, that stuck out to me as I was studying for Sunday school was the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And he Mm. lifts himself up in pride and look at this great Babylon, which I have wrought for my majesty and things like that. And it says, you know, a voice came down and said, or something like that. And so all of a sudden there's this voice that says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be driven out from the people for set for seven times. Um, and I wonder, wow, did, did he hear that? Did all of a sudden it was like, you know, just Nebuchadnezzar out on this veranda and and then he hears this. How long did he have to respond or to realize that he was under judgment? And then you think about these weird circumstances. Okay, he's driven out from people in essence. I personally think I almost picture him being like kept in some inner garden where the people didn't necessarily know in public what was going on, but his counselors knew the king's like loony. He's gone. And I mean, how did they make that decision to, to, to put him out like an they animal? The 25th he, amendment. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and they make it. Yeah. Good. Touche. And, uh, they, you know, he eats grass and his hairs like birds feathers and things like that. And then he says, um, Something about at the end of the time, I looked up and my understanding returned to me and I praised and honored mm. the God of heaven or something yeah. like that. What was that moment like when he, when he looked up and all of a sudden he realized, look at me, who am I? What am I, you know, what am I doing? But, but in that moment, he understood in some sense, you know, he understood maybe why I'm here, who God is, what I've suffered, you know, and all of a sudden he could get majesty and honor back and his counselors returned to, unto him. But it was all in perspective then because he realized uh, there's a God of heaven and he's able to abase those that are proud and his dominions from generation yeah. to generation. But just thinking of that in real time, I mean, what would that have been like in that moment, you know, or in this story or what would that have been like? And so being in that story and you know, not just reading it, blah, 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 like a narrative, but saying, wow, so he puts his finger in his ears and he spits. Yeah. You know, what, what? it just, it's, it, the scripture is fun, if I can put it that way, in that way. It's an, it's an intriguing, um, there's, there's, there's so much intriguing information. And um, if, you're, if you're willing to kind of think through it and ask some questions, you can dig, dig a lot out yeah. of it. Yeah, very good. All right, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, 
Okay, this one might be kind of quick. I had another one I kind of wanted to ask today, but it might take a little bit longer. So I'm going to throw this one at you. How, you know, thinking about a Christian in his perspective of the world versus the perspective of people, and I know the world is people, and so I guess that's partly the problem, (laughs) um, is, is politically speaking, you know, we can... Uh, develop some strong uh, feelings or strong perspectives about certain nationalities or certain countries and the you know the harm that they're doing. Um, somebody told me you know years ago about you know, when they had the Iran Contra scandal or something like that, and and the United States was kind of at odds with Iran. Well, still, mm-hmm. but I mean, uh, and you know, and realizing, wait a minute you're from Iran, you know, or maybe post-World War II, it was, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're Japanese, mm. you know, well, the Japanese are who bombed us, you know, and, and there was, and, and now, you know, you think about the, maybe to use a big term, the geopolitical mm. um, threat of China, uh, and you say, you know, the Chinese is not, is not our friend uh, in terms of politically speaking and, uh, and on the world stage and, um, you know, they're, they're enemy number one for the United States. Um, how do you balance a political view of that, of the world and of nationalities and of, you know, harms done with people? You know, you're, so you're a Chinese person. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You might say, you might, you might go to university and you, and you meet someone Chinese and you think in themselves, this person comes from a communist dictatorship. I despise their government. Um, they're an enemy of the states. They're trying to, you know, uh, hack our intelligence. They're trying to undermine us in the world. They're trying to uh, negatively affect us economically. They're trying to this and that. But this person's Chinese, and but I need to love them. I need to witness to yeah. them. I need to care for their soul. How do you balance that? Well, I think for one, looking at them as an individual is, is a good place to start. They may not espouse the views of their own country. Um, they may not espouse their their country's political stance on things, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that's just part of to use the Bible word equity. Um, it's part of okay. being equitable mm-hmm. and yeah. fair. Fair point. Um, in the same sense that you know we get we get up in arms when you know people would look at us and say, "Okay, you're a white guy," you know that that <laughs> means you you hate all all black people. And that's, of course, not true. Just because some have doesn't mean all do. And I think it's the same case, you know, to use your example, someone from China. Yeah, their their government is terrible in China. Um, Does that mean that every Chinese person you meet in America espouses Chinese political policy? No, no, it certainly doesn't. In fact, the fact that they're in America may be a good evidence that they don't. Um, So, I mean, looking at them as an individual would be maybe a good place to start. Um, what was the second half of your question? Well, it wasn't, it was just, is it a balancing of that feeling for their nationality or for their country versus a concern for them, um, in a gospel way? Okay. I see. Um, well then, then I would have to add to that. Okay. So if, if you look at them as an individual and maybe you do discern that they, espouse some anti-American ideology or even anti-Christian ideology. I think a good 
thing to go back to was maybe what we talked about earlier was humility and, and understanding that as that old saying goes, and I forget who said it, but for the grace of God, there go I, <laughs> that if not for mm-hmm. the Lord himself, I would be in the, in a similar situation as them. I would be lost. Um, I could have been born somewhere else. <laughs> uh, you know, I could have been brought up with a different family. Uh, and so all, all of those things I think factor in understanding that it's the grace of God un, un, that I was undeservedly given by no merit of my own. Um, that's why I'm in a position now where I can offer the gospel to someone else. And rather than look at them and, and think, well, you don't deserve what I have, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you about it. Why should I care about you? Cause you hate me. Um, <laughs> having a, a dose of humility would help us to remember, but for the grace of God, I'd be in the same boat. Okay. Um, you know, I'm thinking about even those extreme circumstances, like you begin to, you know, work towards when you said, well, maybe they do espouse some anti thing. You know, I think you can read stories of people who, uh, I don't remember if it would, I'm thinking of maybe Sergei Kordakov in, um, uh, what's it called? The persecutor. Um, and I'm not sure if it's in that story or there's a, the uh, testimony of, you know, Darlene Dibler Rose, people who have been in, uh, who have been in actual, uh, you know, like encampment situations where they're, you know, prisoners of war, they're, or they're being, you know, persecuted or imprisoned in some way for, uh, for their faith and looking on the persecutor and thinking, you know, of course, this guy's beating me or this guy hates me or, you know, obviously he's a part of a whole regime that's persecuting my work for God. I mean, how, how much more yeah. to it can it get? I mean, that that, that he is he's anti-me, he's anti-Christian, he's anti-America, whatever, you know, he's yeah. anti all this stuff that's good. He's a bad man. And yet to try to to think in yourself, but he needs the Lord. Um, you know, the, the Bible outlines there are different kinds of people and you still have to interact. I think in first Thessalonians five fourteen. now we exhort you brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So even amongst the, um, even amongst believers, you know, you're going to have some feeble minded or you're going to have some that yeah. are weak and you have to tolerate those. But even on a, um, even on a, an unsaved basis, you know, you have some that, uh, yes, obviously they're sinful. They are rejecting, uh, and yet they are blind as well, and and they're lost, and they need to see a light. And so, um, I guess I would say, in part, remembering um, remembering their state. Yeah, you know. Now, at a certain point, I do think that the Bible actually, you know, indicates that um, you've spent enough time on somebody. In a sense of, you know, do, do you go do you go all out to save everybody, no matter what they're doing to you, um, you know? And yeah. I could, and maybe that sounds controversial, but you know, in Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah, the Lord multiple times says, "Stop praying for them," um, or, yeah. um, or you know, whether. And I'm not. There's other examples as far as yeah. saying, you know, if, if they're a heretic, you you avoid them or you deny them. Yeah. Um, there's, so there's certain people that you can say, obviously, they've set themselves against, they've made the yeah. decision. Yeah, well, I mean, but, logically, you know, Paul and his uh, uh, missionary team 
move from place to place for a multiplicity of reasons, sometimes because clearly the Lord spoke to them and directed them somewhere else. Uh, Other times need seemed to be placed right before them. And then other times they were just done. They were done somewhere. Yeah. And it, Remember when they like shook off their garments yeah. or something towards the Jews and said, fine, if you're not going to listen, then I'll tell you. Yeah, and not only that, you know, Athens, there's no recorded converts in Athens, yet Paul moved on. Um, you know, at, at some point, he gave up on Athens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Although I disagree there. I think there was a convert in Athens, but yeah, I, I, I understand oh, what you're saying. Y- you know, Damaris, Ar- Damaris. <clears throat> yeah, there was, was a few converts that. in Athens. There was yes, no church yes. in Athens. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Um, right. uh, Damaris, and I think there was an, one or two other names that were given uh, for converts in Athens, but there's no record of a church being established there. But I mean, at a certain point when they moved on, what they're basically saying is, we're done with everyone else here. Mm, right. Um, right. As far as what we yeah. can do. Yes. But, and, but I do think that there is maybe a different way to look at evangelizing people who maybe make your life difficult uh, or in some cases, in some, maybe, maybe even a threat to you that if you want them to stop persecuting you, the best thing you can do, and in a sense, it's a self-serving thing as well, is to make them like you, <laughs> not, not make them, not make them like or appreciate you, but to make them similar to you. And that is by seeing them born again. You know, mm, if, if someone's hitting me for me preaching the gospel, wouldn't it be great if they also believed the gospel, then they'd stop hitting me. Um, you know what I'm saying? So there is a value to witnessing to people who may have a, a threat to you or, or be a threat to you. I see. I see. And, and, um, just to realize, I guess, you know, that, that when you're talking about the gospel and the soul of somebody, uh, you are talking about sinners. You are talking about people who are rebels. So, I mean, how much can we really expect to Oh, I'm going to go out and preach the gospel, and everybody's going to yeah. love it. You know, you're going to you're going to meet resistance. So whether it's a na- on a national level, like, well, I don't like your politics. Well, there might be a lot of yeah. other things we don't like either. We might not like their sexual preference or their, yeah. you know, as they would say, or well, um, it's like or whatever. And, you know, and and before I was even in ministry, I was in workplaces where I worked with people that were not Christians, and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of motivations people have for giving the gospel sometimes, you know, and the one we're told we're supposed to have is that we love souls, right? Um, okay, fair enough. Biblical point. Is that the reason why everybody evangelizes? No. Is that the, is that the reason you should always have an evangelizing? No. I think there's other no. reasons you should evangelize to glorify mm-hmm. God. Um, you should evangelize because it's your duty and it's right. But I've been in places before where, uh, in addition to some of those reasons, I wanted to evangelize because I was tired of being alone. Hmm. Interesting. I was, I was sick and tired of, of being the only guy there <laughs> who was the only Christian. And it's like, I, I don't want to be alone here anymore. So let me tell these other people the gospel. Um, and I don't think that's a wrong <laughs> reason either. It's not, it's not a selfish reason. Uh, I like the fellowship of Christian brothers. Uh, I, I like that. And I find that qualitatively better than the fellowship or friendship or acquaintanceship of, of lost people. So witness to others uh, in, in a way is, is not only serving God, but it's serving your own needs too. Hmm, interesting. One other thought I would just say too is, um, and I'm trying to find uh, the exact 
<clears throat> verse here, but um, talking about um, love the brotherhood, honor the king. Um, is that in Peter's epistles? It is, is. It is in First Peter. <laughs> Just for some reason, I'm not <laughs> locating it. Okay, it's in chapter two. Uh, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Um, you know, the again, the idea of honor, going back to our first question on esteem, uh, is to to value people. And you know, if you're talking to somebody who's, uh, you know, you're talking. I'm, I'm just. I'm thinking of this as an example. You're talking to a young lady who's shaved her head, you know, has five piercings, um, announces herself to be lesbian, mm-hmm. um, is very, in, in, you know... Tells you which wears, pronouns she wants to be called. Yeah, yeah, wears a shirt that says, you know, has some profanity on it or whatever. I'm just painting a picture. You know, you can, you can uh, walk up to that person. If you're in class with that person at, at college, you know, at your, at your university... You can be you can be kind and cordial to that person, realizing that person has value, um, but you honor them, and when you demonstrate that respect for them, I think that's a good first step. Yeah. Um, and realizing that you know all the baggage and everything that they believe, this is a person, this is a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a background. They're a real. They're, they're a human, and I don't. So I don't dehumanize them by my speech and just talk about them like they're a, a rebel object. They're a person, mm-hmm. and. Um, and anyway, I just think that can be a, a step in, you know, we say uh, all things aside, whatever. Okay, your politics aside, your 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 choices beside, let's let's deal with you as a person. Yeah. But good. All right. Well, we're we're maybe a little over on our time, and we've got to let you go. But if you want to join the conversation, have any questions for us, uh, any input, something we missed here, or or maybe you vehemently disagree with Tom. <laughs> And you <laughs> again throwing me under the bus, surely, surely not me. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you want to give us some feedback? It's Reason Together Podcast at Gmail dot com. Reason Together Podcast at Gmail dot com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, thank you once again for being with us on this episode. We'll see you next time. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>